Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come this morning and to look at your word. And Father, I just pray that I would faithfully proclaim what is in the word, the Lord, all of those that you have brought here this morning would faithfully and carefully listen and apply. Lord, I pray that we would see you more clearly this morning, love you more deeply, Lord, and that we would follow you with trust in our hearts as we see you in your word, Lord. We know, Lord, it is our longing to, to see you face to face. It is our longing to physically be, Lord, with you. But until that day comes, Father, we are so thankful that you have spoken to us through your word and through your son. And so, Lord, may we be faithful to come to you. In Christ's name, amen. So turn to it in your Bible to John 13. John 13, we're going to be looking at verses 36 through 38 this morning. So John 13, 36 through 38. So we're about to start another little story here. This is a story that runs parallel to the main story that John is telling of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. There's three chapters to this little story where John focuses not on Jesus, but he focuses on Peter. And so today we're looking at chapter 1, the story of uh, Peter here with Jesus. Chapter 2 is going to be Peter outside the trial. And then chapter 3 will be Jesus and Peter on the seashore at the end. And in this little sub-story here that focuses on Peter, we have to ask, what is John doing? Well, to figure that out, I think one thing to consider is thinking for a minute about John's readers and who Peter would be to John's readers. Near the end of the first century, when a Christian heard the name Peter, who were they thinking of? Well, he's a giant figure in the church, isn't he? You, you, don't, you don't get much bigger of a name than Peter in the first century, unless your name is Jesus, maybe Paul. He's the one who preached so boldly on Pentecost. He's the one who stood before the government and proclaimed Christ. On the day when Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead by God, Peter was a spokesman there. I mean, he's MacArthur, Piper, and Sproul all wrapped up into one, and he speaks with true apostolic authority. That's who he is. And not to mention his death, which they would have known about, his martyrdom. So John tells us about Peter here, around the time that Jesus went to the cross, and John's readers, their ears would be perked up to see Peter in this situation. John had a purpose. All the gospel writers had a purpose for including Peter in this way. And part of that purpose is so that we could see exactly why Jesus had to die. Why he had to die. How do we get from the Peter that we're going to read about today to the Peter that the church would have known about when John wrote the gospel? How do we get from this Peter to that Peter? That's the question that we want to know. Because this is not John tearing Peter down. We want to make sure, you know, every now and then we, we, we kind of wonder, hey, was there a competition? Obviously there was. We're saying who was the greatest? You know, there's a foot race to the tomb. Uh, maybe there's a little something between John and Peter. This isn't John trying to tear 
Peter down here. All the Gospels tell this story. It's a key part of the crucifixion story. What we want to know is why. And the answer is because if Peter would fail, if Peter would fail at this moment, and if he needs the work of Christ on the cross so desperately, then what does that say about you and me? When we see Peter here. So let's read verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Jesus said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So this week, Lee and I, we were meeting to plan the services. We were working on today's, and we decided to sing, Great is uh, Thy Faithfulness. But instead of writing that on our, our little form, what we actually wrote was, Great is My Faithfulness. And then we just kind of continued on for a little bit, and then, and then we caught it later on. And we're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, we laughed about it. We're like, great, that's not the point of the song. But, you know, as we were sitting there doing that, and I've been working on my sermon of the week, I said, you know, great is my faithfulness. That would be the song that Peter's singing right now. Peter, that would be, if, if we could give Peter a theme song in this section right here, it would be great is my faithfulness. And that's what he's saying. He says, so that's what we're going to call our first point this morning. Our first point is great is my faithfulness. Instead of listening to Jesus here, Peter cuts him off. Right after he gives the first command and he starts to teach, he says, whoa, 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 wait a second, hold up, time out. You just said you're going somewhere. Where are you going? What, what are you doing? The first thing to note, you know, is Peter being rude here? I, I don't, I'm not sure about that. I don't think so. If, if you look down through the rest of the chapter, um, we're getting this glimpse of Jesus teaching his disciples throughout the whole chapter here. And, and he regularly is stopping in the middle of his teaching to interact and to answer questions from them. So I'm not sure that necessarily like, oh, he's being rude. But it's clear, though, that he doesn't agree with Jesus' statement. And so boldly he says, says, why not? I will lay down my life for you. I will... I, I can't go with you? Are you kidding me? I could go anywhere. Now, if you go and you read the other Gospels, if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll realize that John is summarizing this conversation here. From Matthew and Mark, we learn that Jesus had told all of the disciples that they will fall away. And in that moment, during the conversation, Peter, just very graciously and humbly, threw all the other disciples under the bus by saying, even though they'll fall away, I will not. Great is my faithfulness. Jesus, these jokers over here, I've, I've had my doubts about them from day one. They, they may not have the guts to stick it out with you, but I'm here. And I'm not going anywhere. Wherever you go, I'm going. I can handle it. And that's what John is pointing out here. Peter is saying... I can go wherever you can go, Jesus. I can handle it. But here's the thing. He can't. He can't. He really and truly can't. It's simply not possible for Peter 
to be able to go where Jesus is going. And it is simply not true that he can handle it. He can't do this. And so Jesus tells him so. Far from being able to lay down his life for Jesus, Jesus says, you're actually going to deny me. Jesus corrects him. Peter, in this moment, is not who he thinks he is. we got to see that. Peter's not who he thinks he is. Now, he certainly seems like he could be. He's got all the right words. But he is not who he thinks he is. You've got to see that. That's important. Because if you can see that Peter is not who he thinks he is, then you're well on your way to seeing that you're not who you think you are either. And that's what we've got to see here. If Peter can't handle this, that should make us stop. This Peter is one who is ruled by the flesh. Whereas the Peter in Acts is going to be ruled by the Spirit. He has the power in Acts to overcome the sin that wars against him. Peter talks about that in his own gospel, doesn't he? He says that, that there's a, a war that's being waged within our souls. In Acts, he has the power to overcome the sin that wars against him. He doesn't have that power here. So if you would, just take a second, turn over to Romans 8. Turn over to Romans 8 and, and, and read along with me. Because the Peter that we see after Acts chapter 2 would be nodding his head, yes. What Paul says in Romans 8, verses 2 through 11, is exactly how it is. Listen to this, and then see the Peter, who was totally wrong about who he was with Jesus, and then the Peter who ultimately gave everything for Jesus. So in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, Paul is speaking, and he says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay. Peter, in this moment, 
in our story is living according to the flesh. What is it that has to happen first before Peter can live according to the Spirit? Well, in order for that to happen, Jesus has to go to the cross. He has to be the Passover lamb. He has to take the righteous wrath of God for our sins. And then he has to give us his perfect righteousness, justify us. He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 That has to happen first so that our sin is paid for, we're given the righteousness of God, and then we're given the Spirit of God. And what is the Spirit? Paul says it's the same Spirit. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Peter cannot go with Jesus where Jesus is going here on this night after this Passover dinner. Because Jesus is going here to make it possible for a sinner like Peter to be given the Spirit of God. So what this says here, when it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. We're seeing that in Peter. Peter is going, Great is my faithfulness. I can do this. I am able to to do this. I can go wherever you go. I'll lay down my life for you. I'm willing to die for you. And so we read this. Don't tell Peter that he is stronger than he knows. Don't tell Peter you can find this in yourself to do. Tell Peter that he needs a power that comes from outside of himself. He needs a God who can free him from the sin that enslaves him. He needs the new life to, that comes in Christ. That's what we need to tell Peter. It's not great as my faithfulness. It's great as thy faithfulness. And here in this moment, specifically, we see it. Great is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to come for someone like Peter. Don't tell a, a non-believer, don't tell your children, don't tell yourself that you can find the strength to make it and to stop living in sin all by yourself. You can't. Tell yourself you need the grace of God. You need the power of the Savior. You need the Spirit of God given to you. There's no other foundation. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not your strength and it's not my strength. It's not your intelligence. It's not my intelligence. It's not our insight. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the foundation is not necessarily the apostles in the book of Acts because they needed Jesus before they could do anything. And we see this with Peter on this night. Before we see the Peter in the book of Acts, 
We see Peter here. And while Jesus is going to stand up to the greatest trial that the world has ever witnessed, he's going to stand before the righteous wrath of the Father and have justice poured down on him. While Jesus is doing that, while he's being mocked and he's being crucified, Peter is scared of a serving girl. We see Peter as he is. But you and I, we're not supposed to look at Peter and we're not supposed to look down on him, are we? We're supposed to be humble ourselves. We're supposed to see Peter, the rock, the giant of the New Testament church, and realize that if he were so helpless here, you and I would be too. Because this is what a man is by himself. And that's what it ought to hit us. We see Jesus here. Not too long ago, Peter tried to cut Jesus off. And like, hey, Jesus, stop talking about how you're going to die. Like, that's not what you do. And you remember that moment, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. That's when it ought to hit us. God does not love you for your worthiness. That's our second point this morning. God does not love you for your worthiness. He doesn't look down and go, wow, that's a good one. I love what J.C. Ryle pointed out about this moment in the gospel story. Jesus knows in this moment that these 11 men are going to abandon him. He knows already. He knew that they would back before he even called them at the beginning of the gospel story. He knows that despite whatever they think about themselves, they are going to be weak. They're going to be timid. They're going to be angry. They're going to act like they never met the man that they served with and lived with and said they loved for years. Just like sheep, once the shepherd's gone, these men are going to wander into dangerous places. Jesus knows that about these 11 men. But J.C. Ryle pointed out a beautiful truth in all of this. Do you know what it is? It's this. Jesus called these men anyway. Listen to what he says. He says, Yet our Lord's foreknowledge did not prevent his choosing these 12 disciples to be his apostles. He allowed them to be his intimate friends and companions, knowing perfectly well what they would one day do. He granted them the mighty privilege of being continually with him and hearing his voice with a clear foresight of the melancholy weakness and lack of faith which they would exhibit at the end of his ministry. This is a remarkable fact and deserves to be had in continual remembrance. Let us take comfort in the thought that the Lord Jesus does not cast off his believing people because of failures and imperfections. He knows what they are. He takes them as the husband takes the wife with all their blemishes and defects and once joined to him by faith will never leave them. He is a merciful and compassionate high priest, 
It is his glory to pass over the transgressions of his people and to cover their many sins. He knew what they were before conversion, wicked, guilty, and defiled, yet he loved them. He knows what they will be after conversion, weak, erring, and frail, yet he loves them. He has undertaken to save them, notwithstanding all their shortcomings, and what he has undertaken, he will perform. Let us learn to pass a charitable judgment on the conduct of professing believers. Let us not set them down in a low place and say they have no grace, because we see in them much weakness and corruption. Let us remember that our master in heaven bears with their infirmities, and let us try to bear with them too. The church of Christ is little better than a great hospital. We ourselves are all, more or less, weak, and all daily need the skillful treatment of the heavenly physician. There will be no complete cures until the resurrection day. What a great quote. What's happening in this moment with Peter is that we are seeing Peter in his pride thinking that he is more than he is. What Peter must realize is that our identity, who we are, is something that's given to us by God. It's not something that we can create in ourselves. So what's happening when you and I, like Peter, when we focus on what we can do, when we're tempted to sing the song, Great is My Faithfulness, we focus on ourselves and we give ourselves an identity. This is who I am, and this is what I can do. Jesus, I'm not like these other jokers. Yeah, I can see them falling away, but that's not who I am. I'll be with you. I can handle this. And then our identity, it gets wrapped up in what we perceive that we have to offer others. What we can do. We get pride and stability and we get comfort from what we can do. The disciples identified themselves as the greatest servants in the Messiah's master plan to start his eternal kingdom. And they argued about who was greater in that master plan. Who was going to be closer to him when he sat on his throne? And you know that they're judging that by what they've done and what they're able to do and, and who's smarter and who gets it. Who's going to stand with you and who's going to fall away? We can do the same thing. Moms, when your children are in the home, you have a lot to offer them. And most moms know it. And most moms can get their identity from what they are doing and what they are able to do for their kids. And then inevitably what happens is that when the kids move out of the house and the kids start raising their own families and the kids don't need you anymore, you wrestle with who you are. What do I have to offer anymore? What am I doing? Men, you spend your lives working. And then, and then when you retire, you wonder, well, what, what, do I, what am I doing now? This is who I was. But who am I now? You see how we get our identity. We, 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 we determine who we are by the things we're able to do. 
the chronically sick person wonders, what am I supposed to even be anymore? Because all I can offer is being a burden for other people. And so you might get carried away in your pride because of what you have to offer others. And you might, like Peter, say, no, they might, they might fail. I will, I can do this. I will do this. Or you might get crushed by your despair because you have nothing to offer. You see how we use this question to build an identity for ourselves? But seeing Jesus here, it should turn this on its head for us. He doesn't choose people because of what they have to offer. Do you see that? He didn't choose you because of what you have to offer. That didn't play into it at all, in fact. He doesn't need anything that you and I have to offer. He didn't choose you because of that. He, choose, he chooses them, his disciples. He chooses Peter, Christian. If you're here this morning and you trust in Christ, you're following him, you have confessed your sins, you believe in him. He chose you because he's the shepherd. Because he's the shepherd. He has the only thing worth offering. Renewal and redemption. Forgiveness, grace. So the point is, he gives his sheep their identity. That's where your identity comes from, not from you, but ultimately from him. Doesn't he just undercut the disciples' pride on this night? I mean, they've been following him. They've been living with him. They're in the inner circle, you know? I wonder if, I wonder, I mean, they were human. They probably at some point thought of their buddy who didn't make it into the upper room tonight, you know? But I'm here. I'm in the upper room. There's Jesus. It's just us. I'm one of the inside group. I'm not that bad. And you know what we might think? We might go, I must be doing something right. But that would be completely wrong. Because he doesn't love you based on your worthiness alone, it has nothing to do with it. They have nothing to offer him. We see it, right? We're reading this and we realize like these 11 men, they, they, don't, they don't have anything that, that's like, oh, wow. They're all going to stumble. They're all going to fall. And they're all going to do it at the moment that is without a doubt the most important moment for a disciple to be faithful. The very moment where their, where their faithfulness would be tested, whether they fully understood what was happening here or not, right? Whether they fully got it, Jesus is still going through a couple of mock trials. He's still going to be pulled out in front of a crowd. He's still going to be crucified. Whether they even fully got what was happening, this is the moment when a disciple shows that he's got it, and that he's faithful, and that he's loyal, and that he can be counted on. And they're all going to fall away. Because they don't have what they need. It's not what they have to offer that gives them their identity. It's the fact that Jesus called them. It's the fact that Jesus set them apart. 
It's the fact that Jesus loved them. It's the fact that Jesus named them his followers. That's it for the disciples, and that's it for you, too. Where do we get our identity from? You have to get this question right, and you have to lean on it, and you have to stand on it. Because if you say, I get my identity from what I can do, you are in for a world of confusion and hurt and pain and lostness because you can't maintain that. You don't have the power. Where God will take you, you will not be able to be there under your power. He gives you your identity. And the one that he gives you, it is not dependent on, upon circumstances. It is not dependent upon ability. You know the best thing about me? I mean, so here I am. I'm, I'm relatively healthy. I have four kids. I have a job. I can provide for my kids. But do you know what is the best thing, the absolute best thing, hands down, about me? It's Jesus. It's Jesus that he loved me and he forgave me. That's it. That's what I have. If I lost everything else today, I would still have that. Do you know what's the best thing about you, Christian? Jesus. That he loves you. That he forgave you. That he calls you. And if you lost everything else, if you lost your abilities today, it would not change who you are. It would not change how God sees you. It would not change your relationship to him. We can't sing, great is my faithfulness. There were two failures that happened on this night. There were two different disciples, right? Judas and Peter. But even though both failed, there was a great difference between the two. So Judas failed, and he left Jesus behind. He rejected Jesus forever. So Peter fails here too, right? But failure is not the end for Peter. Jesus is not done with him. And just because you may have failed, it doesn't mean that Jesus is done with you either. So I said earlier that John's just summarizing this conversation, and we looked at what Matthew and Mark, uh, they talked about how Peter basically said, you know, these jokers are all losers, but I'm here for you. Well, Luke, he tells us something a little bit different. Luke tells us in Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So we looked at this last week. God gave Satan permission when it came to Judas, but not Peter. Satan demanded to have Peter to sift him like wheat. The question we have to ask is, why did Peter not fail utterly and completely? Why did Peter, unlike Judas, not end up hanging in a field, feeling his guilt, but unwilling to repent and come back to Christ? Why does Peter make it through this? And it's not because Peter was a better person. And it's not because Peter had more ability. And it's not because Peter said, Satan, bring it on. I can stand up to you and your evil. What is the reason that the Bible gave us for why Peter makes it through? Jesus says it right there in Luke chapter 22. Jesus himself 
interceded for Peter. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That's where Peter and his strength come from, from Jesus. And it's the same for you and I today. You have to see this. It's not your strength that will make you faithful. It's his. From beginning to end. It's his strength. He's the one who will hold you fast. He's the one who came and got you. He's the one who grabbed you. He's the one who set his love on you. He's the one who, like a shepherd, said, that sheep is mine. And called you. And you heard his voice. And you could do nothing but hear his voice and see your shepherd and come to him. Because his sheep know him. And they know his voice. And what was it that brought Peter through this? It was Jesus interceding on his behalf. Later on in this conversation with his disciples, here in, Jeff, in John, we're going we're gonna to come back to John now. In John 15, 16, so John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus cuts right to the point with his disciples. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. Guys, God loves us, Christian. Not because of our worthiness, but because he wants to make us his. He gives us our identity. He tells you who you are. He's been actually doing it from the beginning, hasn't he? <laughs> you didn't get to choose the parents you had. You didn't get to choose how you were made. You didn't get to choose how, how short or tall you are. You didn't get to choose. You didn't get to choose so many things. You didn't get to choose whether you're a boy or a girl. You, you didn't get to choose any of that. God gave you your identity, and God continues to give you your identity. But are you, are you holding on too tightly to your pride and to your self-centeredness? Is your focus on yourself? Are you tempted to sing the song, Great is my faithfulness? What you have to offer is what matters. And that's what you're going to depend upon. Of course, what you have to offer will change throughout life. Because at some points, you know, at one point you may have a lot to offer. And at another point, you may have absolutely nothing to offer. And when we get our identity from that, that's when we fall into just such a terrible depression and despair. When we don't have something to offer anymore. And so you will always be, if you get your identity from what I can do, you're always going to just be rising and falling based on your performance. I'm a great person. I'm a terrible person. I'm a wonderful person. I'm a miserable person. Now, God does use our gifts. And God uses what we have to offer when we have it. And when we offer it to God, it brings Him glory. Don't get me wrong on any of that. As children of God, we obey. Obeying is doing. As faithful children, faithful means we live in a certain way. As holy children, 
Holiness means we live in a certain way. So we don't want to discount the fact that we are to do things with what God has given to us. We are to live in certain ways, but those things are not where we get our identity from. We do not say, I can do this, therefore I am this. No, as Christians, it works just the opposite. We say, I am this, therefore I do that. You see the difference? We tend to work from, here's what I am, and I'll identify myself. But no, with, with the gospel, it works the other way. Here's who you are. You're a child of God's. Forgive him. You've received his mercy and his grace. You've been given the spirit. Now live this way. But don't confuse our ability with our identity. Those things don't make us who we are. God makes us who we are. And he does that through Jesus. You and I, like Peter, if we did not have Jesus, we would boast in our abilities and have nothing. We would end up nowhere. Because we can't overcome death and we can't overcome our sin. We're enslaved to our own hearts and sin. God makes us who we are by giving us Christ. And so when we get caught up in focusing on what we have to offer and only what we have to offer and not building on the identity that God has given us and resting who you are, that's been taken care of by Christ. When we get that backwards and we get caught up in only focusing on what we have to offer, we lose sight of the gospel. We lose sight of what Jesus has done. We become very self-centered. Even when we're helping others, we can become self-centered because it's about us. It's about what we can do. And that can kill our joy in God because we're not looking for our joy in God. We're looking for our joy in us. We're not doing things out of gratitude for the Lord. We're doing things out of pride for us. First, we have to see Peter here. We have to realize, oh my goodness, that could be me. Like Agur in Psalm 30, I am a stupid man. We need others. But not so that you and I can create our identity. We need others to live out what God has created in us. Right? This week, go out and serve somebody. This week, go out and use what God has given you to encourage and build up somebody. Use what God has given you to strengthen somebody, to convict somebody possibly, to tell somebody, proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Go out this week and serve somebody. Look around this week. Use your creativity. Use your money. Use your time. Use your skills. Use the things that God has given you to help others. Use the knowledge that you have to share with others about who Jesus is and who they are and about why there's hope in God. Go out this week and use what God has given you, not so that you can determine who you are, but do it because God has said, you're my child, I love you, I've made you mine. Now live as my child. Live in response to what God has done, 
instead of trying to create for yourself this identity. A.W. Pink said, if left to ourselves, the strongest is as weak as water. It is in conscious weakness that our strength lies. And you realize that by relying on Christ, boasting in Him and not ourselves, we don't need validation from ourselves, and we don't need validation from others because we are His sheep. And our shepherd gives us all that we need. And he did it simply because he is the good shepherd. Out of his love, he has loved us. Out of his grace, he has given us grace. Don't add your worthiness to that. Because I mean, the truth is, right? The story of God's love is the story of our unworthiness. The story of God's love is that we deserve justice. The story of God's love is that if in this moment, when Peter, in his pride, acts this way, if things, if, if we were to say what is perfectly just, Jesus would have been perfectly just in that moment to have abandoned Peter. Guys, we have to recognize our unworthiness. We have to recognize our humility. We have to recognize our inability. So that when we come to Christ, we are not bringing anything of our own, our own ability, or our own strength. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for Peter. Lord, we thank you that, that you called him. And we thank you, Lord, that Peter was the way that he was. And Lord, we thank you that you, Jesus, you interceded for him. Lord, so that we can see ourselves. Father, it is so hard for us at this point to rest in the identity and who we are because of what you have done for us. And that be enough. It be enough for us that you love us, Lord. It be enough for us that you have saved us. It be enough for us that you made us your child. And being your child, Lord, I hate, I hate to say it, but so often we struggle with that being your child, with that being enough for us. And Lord, we want, we want our glory. Lord, we want to love you on our terms and by our strength. So Father, I pray that we would, we would rest in what you have done. And then Lord, when we do use what you have given us. We realize we can't boast in any of it. It's from your hands. It's, it's not even ours in the beginning. Our strength, Lord, our, our intelligence, our ability. You gave those to us as a, 
as a father giving your child gifts, Lord. May we use them out of joy for what you have done. Protect us, Lord, from that battle of just wanting to make our identity in what we're able to do. Lord, I pray for those here in our fellowship who are strong. For those, Lord, who have time and have skills and, and have strength and, and have resources. Lord, it is so easy for us to fall into the temptation of looking to ourselves when we have those things. May they rest in what you have done instead and live in joy. And Lord, I pray for those who don't have those things. I pray for those, Lord, who, who do not have those resources or that strength, those abilities to not fall to the lie that they are less because it is you who made them and it is you who loved them and they are just as much a child of God. And may we remember that, Lord. All of us, we are leaning upon your strength entirely. And we thank you, Father, that you give it to us. In Christ's name, amen.